welcome to the Awakening Church podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. Of of all the questions you get as a pastor, like, what do you do exactly? Or what is that exactly? Or wait, you're married too? Um, Or why aren't you wearing collar? One of my favorite questions is the most insulting one, which is, what do you even do all week? (laughs) People know what you do on Sunday. You know, they see what you do on Sunday. They think you probably spend like 10 minutes before kind of figuring stuff out. Then you get up here and you do it. It's like an hour on a Sunday. What do you do the rest of the week? You know, oftentimes I hear that, I, I want to go, hey, you know what, what do you do the rest of the week? You know, like, <laughs> it's when I'm in my flesh. <laughs> when I was in youth ministry, on the flip side of this, I, I remember these were, these were some of the harder parents. There were so many great parents in my youth ministry. But in, in those days, there were some parents that would, that would want me to do something for their child every day of the week. You know, on the flip side of the what do you do all week of doing nothing, they wanted me to do everything for their child every time of the week when their child didn't want to go to camp for some reason. They come to me, hey, why doesn't little Billy want to go to camp? I'm like, I don't know. You know, hey, my son is falling away from the faith. Like, could you do something about that? You know, the expectation placed on pastors of what we do during the week is kind of a funny thing. It seems like we either think like our pastors should do nothing, like what do you do all week? You just sit around all week? That sounds like a nice gig. Golf. You know, a lot of, a lot of people think we golf a lot. I can tell you, you play with Ryan and I, we, we do not. We do not golf a lot. We're very bad. Um, or we expect them to do nothing or we expect them to do everything. But it, it reveals this. We actually have a dislocation in our culture between like spiritual leaders and the rest of the community. That there's a kind of separation We view pastors as like, they are something I am not, and they do something I do not do. And that's kind of the general vibe, whether you expect them to do everything for your child in youth ministry, or you don't know what they do all week, you just don't know the world in which they exist. But these extremes eliminate one massive uh, elephant that's in the room, which is all of you, the congregation. While there's like, what do you do all week as a pastor, it's kind of interesting to think, well, what do you do all week as a Christian? What is the things that occupy your time? Not just work and family, but as a Christian, what, did it, what is it that you do all week? And as we wrap up this gifted series, I want to talk to you about what we're doing together here. I want to talk to you about what it is that your pastors do and your leaders do, and also what it is that you are gifted to do, because the truth is, the church is about us. The church is about all of us enacting the work of this ministry, which is why outside in the ministry fair, we have a great opportunity for you to join in what we're doing. But I want to close by asking questions like, what should you expect of us as leaders, but also maybe more plainly and more clearly so that we have an understanding, what, what do we expect of you as the congregation? The, pa- the um, sermon today is titled, That's the Pastor's Job, because I've heard that a lot. And I want to debunk these myths and ask God's scripture to speak to us. So if you've got a Bible, Ephesians 4 is our text this morning where we can look at what it is that we do all week. What do you do all week? And what do I do all week? 
Let's talk. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he, Jesus, Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the body, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Three things of what we do all week, or to help us understand what we do all week. Number one, the head, who's in charge. The work, what do we do? And the aim, what's the point? Who's in charge, what do we do, and what's the point? Are you ready? First one, the head, who's in charge? Who's in charge of the church? Look at the very beginning of this verse in verse 11. Paul says, and he gave. Later on it says, we're to be built up into him, into the head, into Christ. There's key words here, that there's a giver and a sustainer of life that exists at the top of the church. Who runs the the church? In a group of gifted Christians, like we are here in this church, who runs the show? Very clearly in this, ty- in this uh, passage, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus giving the gifts. It's all about gi- Jesus giving the leaders. It's all about Jesus sustaining the very life of the church. He gave. In, earlier in this chapter, if you're just opening your, your Bible and you've got chapter 4 open, you can skip up to verse 7 a little bit earlier, and it says, however, Ephesians 4 verse 7, however, he, Jesus, has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. The gifts that are being displayed, and we've been talking about this throughout this series, that the gifts being displayed and the ways in which you can partner with God are given by Jesus, that Jesus calls the shots. And it says in earlier that he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We'll get to these words in a little bit. But at this point, we have to say, before Jesus gives the leadership, Jesus is the leadership. Before Jesus gives the commands, Jesus is the command. He is the one. He is the life. He is the, the one who sustains everything. He's the head of the church. In other words, quite frankly... There are no pastors without Jesus. And I don't mean that there are no people called pastor without Jesus. What I mean is there's no true pastors unless they are connected to the head, Jesus Christ. The way you know true leadership in a church is because a man or a woman is connected deeply to the head, to the one who's in charge that there are no church leaders without Jesus, that quite frankly, there is no church without Jesus. The entire structure, everything, every body, part, hand, foot, everything, this image of the body, Paul says it's nothing without Jesus. But there are churches that many of you have been a part of, perhaps, that are decapitated. In other words, they've stopped listening to Jesus Christ. They've stopped reading his word. They've stopped answering to his call. But I got to tell you here at Awakening a couple of things. Number one, Jesus leads our pastors. 
Jesus leads our, Jesus is our senior pastor, right? In our structure, I'm an associate pastor, Ryan's lead pastor, Jesus, senior top pastor, okay? <laughs> Whatever he does, we do. Wherever he says, we're on it, right? I love, we know Phil Comer, he's a friend of the church and a pastor for decades. When he prays with his elder team, often he says, Jesus, reporting for duty. Like, we're here, whatever you want us to do. This means we, as your leaders, do not do anything he would not have us do. We wouldn't go anywhere Jesus would not have us go. And on the flip side, if we see in Scripture something clearly Jesus has commanded, we will do it and we will say it. We see Jesus' word clearly and we say it, we enact it. Because he's our leader, he's our senior pastor. We don't move unless he moves. We don't go unless he goes. But in the same way, notice in this passage, it's talking about the, the body. And it's not just that the whole body, the image is just the pastors, our hands, feet, and everything. No, no, no. That Jesus is the head, but all of us are body parts. So not only does Jesus lead the pastors, but he, listen closely, Jesus leads you. And that makes us very similar. There's not that much of a difference in this way. And here's the encouraging thing about it. If you are connected to Jesus, the head, and your pastors are connected to Jesus, the head, there should be very little drama. Now there's gonna be, because all of us are sinful and often very stupid. But in God's great grace, if the two of us are connected to the head, we will agree on more than what we will disagree on. And in our disagreements, we'll be able to pray for each other and talk with each other. We will be able to communicate with each other because we're both connected to the head. Jesus leads you just as Jesus leads the pastors. And I just got to say this. You will be unsatisfied in your gifting and place in a church. You'll be unsatisfied in your place in the church so long as you are unsatisfied with the head of the church, Jesus. Like the deeper you are satisfied in him and you know him and you spend time with him and you are plugged into a community group with him, the less dissatisfied I believe you will be in any church. Because look, if you're connected to Jesus and I'm connected to Jesus, you'll look at me and for the different difficulties I, am, I have as a leader and the different uh, you know, lack of gifts I have as a leader, you'll forgive them quickly because you're like, we're all connected to the head, Right? And likewise, when you, I'm mad at you and you're being stubborn and you're not being faithful or whatever, I will have grace to you because we're both connected to the head, right? Do you see? If both of us are connected to Jesus, drama and dissatisfaction should decrease in the church. But so long as you are not connected to the head, I'm telling you, you'll have trouble in any church you go to. Like some of you have bounced around church to church and you think it's the church problem. And I go, what's the common denominator? I mean, no, you know, not to, not to be overly blunt, but really, sometimes we just jump from community to community to further prove our own disobedience in our own lives. And so beware of a decapitated church, but also beware of a decapitated Christian, of one who is not connected to the life source. He's in charge. Jesus, our senior pastor. That's where we take orders, who's in charge. Number two, what's the work then? What do we do? I want you to notice this verse. It says, he gave 
the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. This is Ephesians 4, verse 11. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body, speaking the truth in love. These are just some of the comments that are made throughout scripture in this section. Each part working properly. There's this work that's to be done. There's something we are to do. And let's look more closely at Ephesians 4.11. I think I have the whole verse there on the screen. Ephesians 4 verse 11 in a couple of slides, maybe. It says, uh, he gave the apostles, the prophets, look at verse 12 very closely. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, talk about that in a sec, that's leadership, 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So just listen to that carefully and notice, who's doing the work of the ministry? The saints. Who are the saints? I've got news. (laughs) All those in Christ. Some of you got to remember this because you think of yourself as a sinner. When you think about, like, here's a good question. How do you think God looks at you, saint or sinner? This is an important theological question. God looks at you because of the work in Christ. As you claim Christ, as you put your faith in Christ, if you are a Christian, God sees you as saint. God sees you as saint. Now, we might see each other as sinners. That's a different thing, right? But what's important is to find our primary identity in to be the one. Because see, some of us say, I'm not good enough for this church. Or I don't, I don't know if I can step into ministry. All this ministry fair stuff. There's things I could do. I don't, I don't know. I mean, Chris, I like what you say about being connected to the head. I just want to have like me and Jesus. But Jesus says, once you're connected to the head, the head is going to start to tell you to move. Once you're connected to the head and you're called saint, God's going to start to operate the body. Move it around. The body of Christ is not sedentary. The body of Christ is not sitting in a hospital bed, decaying and dying away. The body of Christ is to be working properly, active, and that takes you and me to do the work of the ministry. But here's the deal. Look at 4.11, right? He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers. Now, I want to say this is an interesting, like, English nerd moment, right? It It doesn't say he gave to the apostles and prophets. It says he gave the apostles and prophets. In other words, your leaders are a gift, The leadership is, there's a gifting that God has given to these categories. Well, these are kind of churchy words. Let's help you understand these. The word apostle is used to to call someone as a divine kind of entrepreneur. For example, Titus is called an apostle in 2 Corinthians 8.23. It's not just the seven, um, you know, or the 12 apostles. It's actually a word used for someone like Epaphroditus in Philippians 2.25, a woman named Junius in Romans 16, the apostle, that word, is more about someone being sent. It was also an official office, but it was also someone being sent. The, the gift of the prophet is the person who's like a preacher. Okay, I think about this, though, not just me or not just Ryan, but actually the gift of prophecy, which we outlined in the last, uh, well, the first two weeks of the series, if you need to look at it, which is about speaking God's word to man. So it's not just preaching like I'm doing right now, but it's you at lunch with someone in your co-working space. And someone, some, you're at a play date and you're talking with another mom or another dad and you're saying, man, I just, this is God's word. This is, I don't know, I know you're confused. I know things are hard, but this is what God says. That's preaching, that's a gift of prophecy and that's what a prophet is. Either Sunday morning or Monday at lunch. 
The prophet is given to do this work. The evangelist is like the witness. Last week, Jess Sembatu. Why did we have Jess Sembatu up there? Because Jess is a gifted evangelist. And for anyone for us to learn from about what it means to be an evangelist, she's not on staff with us, but on staff with crew. We wanted to learn from someone who's living the life of a witness. You see, the evangelist is a word given to a lot of people in scripture. I'm trying to tell you evangelist, prophet, apostle. These are words that are given to people, but in the scriptures, many of them are given in a position of leadership. So Jess Sembatu is in a position of leadership. That's why she can preach with such effectiveness on evangelism, right? The final two are shepherds and teachers or pastors and teachers. The pastor-shepherd thing is like interchangeable. If you've got a different translation, it'll show you that. But it's about leading and correcting God's church. It's about instructing others in the ways and knowledge of the wisdom of God. And so these key words can kind of help you see Jesus gives these people to the church to equip all of us to do the work. So like I said, I think the last week with Jess teaching is a great example. Jesus gave us the evangelist, but not just Jess to go do the evangelism thing. God gave us just so that all of us can do the evangelism thing. Do you understand, right? God doesn't just give the apostles to do the sending work. He gives the apostles, the entrepreneurs, the people who start stuff, you know, the people, whether you started a company or like Ryan, he's an apostle, he started this church, he's a founder of this church. Like it's, it's an ability to go be sent and to start something, but that doesn't mean all of us don't start things. Some of us will get, be gifted in that, but some of us will not. But it's that we follow these kinds of giftings so that all of us can embrace them. Does that make sense? See, none of us are excused from these. It's just that Jesus gives particular gifts to particular people to do this work. And the work is to equip all of us to do the ministry. So don't get me wrong. Not all of us will be up here. Not all of us will be in leadership necessarily. But all of us, I believe, are to be equipped by leaders, to be growing by leaders, to be following leaders. Because they're equipping all of us to do the work of the ministry. It's going to look different. It doesn't mean, this is what's kind of, backwards about our culture right now. It doesn't just mean people on stages. That's why I hesitate to use some of the examples that I've used, but you get what I'm saying, and I'll give you some further examples down the line. But God uses leadership to equip all of us to do the work of the ministry without getting like too cute and tidy with all these titles and putting like names of people at Awakening by all these. You can actually see, the longer you're around Awakening, you can see people with these gifts just lead us. They might be doing some of this work in cafe, kids ministry, youth ministry, production, or on a stage and in a staff role. But you'll see these kind of operative gifts lead all of us to do the work of the ministry. The job of the leadership is not to do the works of the ministry, but to equip all of us to do the works of the ministry. That's leaders have the dual role. You do the work of the ministry with the rest of the church, but you're also equipping others to do the work of the ministry. I mean, let's not pretend like every Sunday, myself or Ryan is the most righteous person in this church, right? Or the most person aware of their, right? We're all righteous in Christ. So it's not like someone's better than other people. It's just that God gifts and operates people in particular ways to help equip all of us, right? I, I can remember when I first learned this, like what it meant to really be a pastor. Um... We talk about this sometimes. Most, most pastors like myself, they, we get into this kind of work because we like to be needed and we like to be liked. 
And um, so, you know, like you get into anything in, in, in any work or any career, you get in with like mixed motives, pure and impure motives. And when I got into ministry, I, I wanted to be liked. I wanted to like have things I say impact people. And, you know, about three years into being a youth pastor, I had something happen to me that was really important and helped kind of change the trajectory of my life as a leader. So I had the gift to teach. I had like a kind of charisma that, you know, can be put on a stage or whatever. So I drew a little bit of a crowd in a youth ministry. And this pastor above me, John, in a very undramatic and a normal check-in meeting, he is like, hey, Chris, so you've maxed out the group. I was like, the group had been like 15 or 20, and it was like 100 kids now. And he was like, you've kind of maxed it out, man. You've kind of taken it to where it needs to go. You've gathered as many people as like a charismatic person with a teaching gift can gather. But he was like, Chris, if you want this thing to go from 100 to 300, you got to work differently. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, right now, you're kind of doing everything for everyone. You're the pastor for everyone. But you've got to learn how to train other lowercase p pastors. You've got to learn to help other people pastor this group. Because if this group is going to grow beyond 100 people, you're going to need other pastors. You're going to need other leaders, other people who can do the work of the ministry. Because right now, you're the only one doing the work of the ministry. And this led me kind of on a journey I frankly, I'm still on, right? Is that to be a pastor is not to do everything for everyone. It's not to know, it's not even to know everything for everyone. It's not to tell other people what to think. It's harder than that. It's to teach people how to think. It's not to do everything for everyone. It's about helping everyone do everything for everyone. It's more nuanced. It takes a lot more time. It's a little bit more frustrating. And that was the journey John was hoping to set me on. And, you know, I got to tell you, it took about two years to see any kind of difference, but I worked very hard at this uh, for the two years after John told me this. And I can remember this one time we were at this all-church baptism. I remember this day because we were baptizing on that day exactly 100 people. It's really cool. 100 people being baptized. And when I got to that day, I realized there wasn't one person I was baptizing. I, like, show up in my suit. I'm like, what's up, guys? And they're like, you are not on the list. I was like, I'll go hang by the benches, you know, in my swim trunks. <laughs> I became, like, incredibly discouraged. I felt like, I was like, did I fail as a pastor? I mean, here's 100 people in my church getting baptized. I'm not baptizing one of them? Was this maybe not a season for me? And then I thought, gosh, I'm 25. Why don't I do what most youth pastors do at 25? Quit. <laughs> It's a, joke. it's a bad joke, but we can all laugh. No, I really did. I was like, maybe I'm not effective anymore. Then, like, one by one, I realized we had dozens of students being baptized. It just wasn't by me. They were being baptized by their leaders, by their parents. They were being baptized by their peers. And something crystallized for me in that moment. And joy began to increase in me because here was, the, here was the truth I discovered. I found more joy being out of the water than in it. I started to see what it really is to be a pastor. It's to allow other people the joy of ministry. 
is to release other people to partner with God in the kind of work that benefits other people and leads them to salvation. And that became my goal, was to be the one out of the water, watching those in the water experience the joy of ministry. Because here's the thing, all of us were winning. <laughs> I was on the outside of the pool filled with joy. There's now one other person in the pool filled with joy and a student coming to new life in Jesus Christ. And I started to see, maybe this is what I'm here to do. Not to do the work of the ministry, but equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. What is ministry? I've always defined it as partnering with God's work that benefits other people. How are we partnering in God's work to benefit other people? It's my job as a pastor to release you into ministry. That's why this ministry fair is out there. It's because you, as, or us as leaders, looks at our congregation now and we go, we need you to partner with us in the work that benefits other people, partnering with God in his work. It's the thing I love most about awakening. It's the thing I love most about my job is to spend my week tirelessly doing this exact thing, helping other people partner in God's work that benefits other people. And it's my great joy to lower the bar of entry today for you. To help you come in to the water, so to speak. I think about stories here of how God is working. Out there in the, in the ministry fair, there's, a, there's something called the care team. That's something that wouldn't have been in a ministry fair a year ago. You want to know why? It wasn't because some pastor thought it up. It wasn't because me or Felicia got it going or Ryan got it going or Christina got it going. No. Annie Changs, someone in our church here, yeah, yeah shout out, came to Felicia and I and said, I have a simple mission she says, I want a team that exists for all to feel seen, loved, and welcomed at Awakening, a care team. Felicia and I were like, that's interesting because that's one of our top needs. As we grow, we need people to feel loved, seen, and welcomed at Awakening. That when people get baptized, they need a card in the mail, and they need a gift, right? That when someone's sick, we need to know about it, we need to pray for them, that we need to follow up with people. And so Annie, who is an apostle and a shepherd, she's an entrepreneur, She's someone who cares for people. It was Felicia's and I, Felicia and I's job to say, all right, here's what you need to do. Craft this vision statement, get it all planned out, come back with some stuff, and we worked together over a couple of months, and now the care team's there, and now you can join it. What was that? That is equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Felicia and I won't be at that table. I mean, I might buzz by and say what's up, but it's, uh, it's us doing the work of the ministry. I think about Johnny Wall, who's on sound right now. Johnny Wall's a teacher. He's a sound guy. He's a, an expert sound guy. But when you think about apostles, shepherds, he's a teacher. In fact, just today and last week, he had another guy at the soundboard instructing that person in the soundboard. Why? Because Johnny wants to create environments for God to move. And he doesn't just want to do the work of the ministry. He wants to equip others to do the work of the ministry. And so you can join the production team out there because there's people who can, who can teach you to partner with them to create this exact environment where we have an environment today. I was telling them in the production team meeting, I said, do you know how important what it is what you're doing today? Man, we're gonna have a moment in the service where we're gonna grieve about the violence in America and we're gonna pray. And everyone involved in tech and production sets that environment for you to experience God and to be comforted by his Holy Spirit. Do you see how important this is? Do you see this is not just doing church. This is partnering with God in work that benefits other people. I think about West, a college kid in our church. Currently, 
He's, he got baptized last year at a birthday. So he's been walking with Jesus faithfully for about a year, and he's currently meeting with two international students who are not Christians. And he's teaching them the Bible every week. He's answering their questions about Christianity. He's an evangelist. And he's out on the front lines doing the work of an evangelist and equipping others for the work of the ministry, sharing Jesus, leading others to Jesus, which is why it's important for us to partner with an organization like Crew, because he got connected with Crew, he got saved, he got baptized here. Now he's equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, and we're equipping him. I just met with him this week. I said, buddy, here, I'm encouraging you right now. I said, I also want to give you a shout out. He said, that's cool. Are you partnering with God's work at Awakening? Do you know that we don't just want you to serve and lead. We need you to serve and lead. Our church, do you see what I'm starting to paint? Sound, production, care. I could do this for so many other ministries. We ain't got time. Here's the deal. We don't just, like we live and breathe off of us doing the work of the ministry. And we need all of us to step into that. Well, finally, the aim. What's the point? <laughs> we know who's in charge. We now see the work we must do, but why? Why be a part of the church? Why should, it be, why should I be a part of this church, you might be asking? I always tell people, you should join a church and become a Christian in order to find out what it really means to be human. You'll never be more clear on your limitations while simultaneously granted a kind of grace to help you become what you could never become on your own. And that's the point of being a Christian and joining a church. Look at these lines, Paul says, building up of the body until we all attain unity. The knowledge of the Son of God, no longer children tossed to and fro, grow up into every way who is him. You exist, and this church exists to grow all of us up in Christ, to make us together more like Christ than we ever would be apart. That's the point of the church. And he contrasts these two metaphors of infants versus maturity. I want to put this whole slide up for you. This is in Ephesians 4. Infants versus maturity. You see, some of y'all are in the infant stage, and I just want to pause and say, we are so glad you're here. In fact, if that's where you're at, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> you got to start somewhere. And this is not shaming this. In fact, the infant stage is this beautiful stage that we as leaders learn a ton from. Someone who comes to Christ for the first time, they don't got any baggage from any church. Man, it's beautiful. If you're here and you're like, man, I'm on that infant side of things from Ephesians 4, we're glad you're here. But I want you to know the aim. What are we all doing here? What's the point? The aim is not to leave you there. The aim is not to leave any of us in the infancy stage, but to grow into what the scriptures call maturity. Okay, so the infants are tossed about, and then to be mature is to be joined together. This is all language in Ephesians 4. You look back on the text and you study this, you'll see it. Tossed about versus joined together. Deception, it's like you're easily deceived. Again, tossed to and fro by every wind of human cunning and deceitful schemes. These are the things that were mentioned in the scriptures. Versus speaking the truth in love. Or 
falling into kind of, of crafty manipulation, like trying to get your way, or joining in loving service towards maturity, right? A couple of questions. Have I, this is that's stuff that I was reading, and I was thinking of these questions for myself. Have I taken responsibility for my own walk with Jesus, or do I expect my leaders to do everything? Infancy versus maturity. Do I consider my relationship with God as inextricably linked to my relationships with others, or am I a lone Christian? A lone Christian is tossed about, right? Man, connected to the body of Christ is to be joined together. Deception or speaking the truth. Is my life steady and in a single direction, or is it distracted and inconsistent? These are things I think about. I go, man, God, as you grow me in maturity, I want to be more consistent. I want to be more faithful. Do I prefer the easy way out, or do I contribute to the needs in the church instead of criticizing them? Crafty manipulation versus loving service. As we grow in Christ, you see, as we step into service, the whole idea is that we would move from infancy as a church to maturity. That, that some of us, like I said, we're in the infant stage, and that's, that, that's fine. But how are we taking that next step? That's why today, again, we're just simply lowering the bar of entry for all of you to participate in the work of God at Awakening Church for the building up of the body. This is why Paul can say in Ephesians 4, verse 1, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. This is how he starts the chapter we were just studying. He says, I want to urge you to walk in the maturity that I've called you to. I want you to act like who you are in Christ. We did a series on Ephesians at an old church I worked at, and we called it Becoming Who You Already Are. Like Jesus has said, this is who you are, and you are to grow up in every way into him. I have three invitations for you. How do we become like this? I want to invite you first to personal responsibility of the mission. If you left awakening, would we suffer? We minister in the Silicon Valley. It's a transient community where people often leave. And this summer, we've brought them on stage and prayed for them at our 9 a.m. prayer gathering. We've said a lot of tearful goodbyes to people who have taken personal responsibility for the mission of this church. And as we see them go and we cry and we grieve, I realize on the flip side of that grief, there's a joy that these individuals that have left this summer, and, and they've left, by the way, because they've moved, right? It's summertime, and so it's a transient community, and people, people move. Nobody left angry. Everybody left with tears on both sides. And, they, and, 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 we, and we sent them to go, but it hurt. It really hurt. And I just wonder, if you were to move, would it, would it hurt us? I want to invite you, as we've seen, right, our, we've lost some key leaders because they've moved on. That means we need more of you to step in and to step up. I want to invite you to be personally responsible for your church. You're like, this is my church. If this succeeds, I'm with it. If it goes into troubled times, I'm with it. But I'm going to take personal responsibility. I'm not going to criticize it. Church is not to be watched. 
It is not to be enjoyed from a distance or critiqued from within. Church is to be embodied, interconnected. And so I've got to ask you, do you have personal responsibility for the mission? Second invitation is to service and community. We surveyed our church a couple of weeks ago and found some interesting results. Some of you were there. We surveyed the church just on a random Sunday. 33% of you said that you feel distant from God. And there's a percentage that was new to church of that 33%. And we know that's how it goes. Life includes the coming and going of God's presence that can be really hard. But we saw an interesting correlation, technical term, not a causation, but a correlation between those who felt distant from God and those who were not in a group and not serving. It was interesting. Basically, if you're not serving and you're not in a group, you're 100% more likely to feel far from God at this church. Just kind of a correlation between the numbers. You're just way more likely to feel far from God if you're not in a group or you're not serving in one of our ministries. And so to me, while it's not causation, but there's a correlation, if you're there right now, my best advice to you pastorally is to get involved in service and community. This is why the ministry fair is out there right now, to join worship and production, to join setup and teardown, to join our cafe, our kids' ministry, to join in on what God is doing here. We've simply lowered the bar. Finally, an invitation to a larger life. There's just one last thing that I didn't point out in this passage we studied in Ephesians 4. And it's this. At the end, Paul says we are to grow up in every way. And he doesn't say we are to grow up in every way into the church Jesus is proud of. He says we are to grow up into every way into him. It's interesting that Jesus' vision for you and me is, again, not disconnected from him, but more connected than ever. You see, as a church, the further we grow, the further we grow into him precisely not into some organization that Jesus looks at and goes, thumbs up, but a body that grows into the head that is Christ, that actually could be more deeply embedded into who Jesus is. We actually grow into him, inside of him, and the offer from Jesus is to take your small life that you've been given and to reimagine it inside of something much larger than yourself, and so, let me briefly destroy the lies of our childhood classroom posters and participation trophies we received when we were younger. We are not as special as we once believed. We, you know this, we're ordinary. And we're just people. We struggle with our kids, with our friendships. And yet, God's church, when put together, is extraordinary. You and I, were temporary. Unfortunately, we won't live for very long. But God's church is eternal. And so it's most likely that no one will know my name 120 years from now, probably less than that. But you know what name they will know? You see, people may not know your name decades and decades from now. But will they know the name of Jesus? Will they be introduced to the man who came and died Yes, you see, we start to see communion in the picture here, don't we? That Jesus broke his body so he could build it up. 
that Jesus, his own physical body was destroyed so he could now build his church, so that he could welcome us all in. And being connected to the body of Jesus gives us a vision for our life much larger than what we have right now, that while many years from now, people will not know our name, they will know Jesus' name. And the legacy we are able to leave behind at Awakening is not the name Awakening, nor is it any of us pastors who have any kind of title, but the legacy we leave behind is the name and the vision of Jesus and his body broken for you, and resurrected into new life to build this church. And 150 years from now, who cares what name do they know? The only name that remains will be Jesus Christ. Culture will sway, go back and forth, things will rise and fall, but there is one opportunity you get and I get to join in to the larger vision of this life, and it is to build us up into him so that in 300 years from now and 4,000 years from now, the name that is remembered and worshiped and known is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. We need you, God. You are our only hope. You are the name above all names. And we invite you now to transform us and to change us. And we respond in worship to you to exalt you, God, but to also allow you to empower us to be the kind of church we could never be on our own, the kind of church we could never be decapitated. We align ourselves now in worship to the source, to you, Jesus. And so I pray, would you move and work in this church as we receive from your broken body and we worship your holy name.